0: If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to um, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at um, chapters 4 and 5 today, and you might be wondering about, hold on, we were in Genesis last week, and you're right, we've been in Genesis for a few weeks. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 is on page 1024 if you have a welcome table Bible. We're going to pick up our series in Genesis again next week uh, when we look at Genesis chapter 4, but... In light of the, of the passing of our, our sister, Rebecca, a few days ago, along with what feels like just an overwhelming amount of other hardships that are present in our world and in our country, and, and um, not to mention the very real and present and personal struggles that each one of us carry uh, in our lives right now, I felt that it would just be beneficial for us to pause in the Old Covenant narrative, although the Old Covenant is, is not, we get to Jesus, right? Right? But, it, but that, that we just would pause in the Old Covenant narrative and be reminded of some New Covenant promises today. You've heard me say many times that we come to hear the Word and not the preacher, and I stand by that truth, okay? I gladly stand by that truth. But yet, because I'm not just a preacher, I'm also your pastor, that the Lord has called me uh, to, to love you and faithfully shepherd you, as, uh, completely dependent upon the Spirit and confident in Christ, I want this morning, um, I want you to hear my heart for you and my heart for us as a church, as a church family this morning because we've gone through a lot of things together, okay? And the best way for me to do that is is not through Genesis 4 but to, to, to show you how my heart continues to be shaped by Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Now, if we could summarize Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church in a short phrase, we might call it God's strength in our weakness for Christ's glory. God's strength in our weakness for Christ's glory. Paul is bearing his heart here in this letter to a people he dearly loves. And throughout the letter, he contends for his ministry of the gospel among these people against the lies and the accusations of so-called super-apostles excuse me, who are attempting to turn the people's hearts away from Paul and, and away from Christ. And, and, and now I didn't set that up because I don't want you to feel like um, I, I have a need here to contend for the ministry that I have among you as your pastor, nor, nor am I implying that I think your hearts are turning away from me or from the Lord, okay? Okay. But I think the context in which Paul is writing is helpful for us to think about as we look at these chapters this morning because I believe that it will help magnify the heart of the gospel, the heart of Jesus Himself in these chapters and encourage our hearts together in the process. And so um, before we get into it and, and read it, I want to I want to pray specifically that God would do that for us. So will you bow your heads with me again? Lord, your word is a, a light unto our path, it's a lamp. To our feet, I pray that we would see your very heart in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that through that, you would deepen our hearts for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there anybody in this room that just is like cruising the easy life right now? Can we just all agree that there is something in our lives, whether it's it's the, the the public sphere or our personal sphere, that is just like you can feel it in your shoulders, in your lower back, right? Things press down on us, and it's tempting for us to just kind of want to want to give up on a lot of things, right? Family members, church family members, friends, coworkers, classmates. Our job, where we live, like all of it, right? We just want to quit everything and hide. can't tell you how many times I've thought about some cabin in the woods in these last few weeks. Now, it might actually be a good thing to give up on social media. That would be like, do that, okay? In times like this, it, it, it's easy for us because we continue to be sanctified, we're continuing to be shaped into the image of Jesus, and, and that means that we continue to, to fight uh, the things of our flesh and, 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 and the, the sin that remains in us. It can be tempting for us, right, to wonder what is our motivation to continue. What, what, what are we doing? How do we keep going? And this morning through these uh, chapters in 2 Corinthians, I just I want us to hear this, Okay. This is our main thought, that we can just wrap our minds around this right here. God makes his strength known in our weakness for Christ's glory. Therefore, we do not give up. Therefore, we do not give up. And here's the first thing, we don't give up. We do not give up hope because God is merciful. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, we saw that in Genesis 1, right? God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, Paul talks about this new covenant ministry in Christ and how it's more glorious than the old covenant ministry through Moses and the law. See, the old covenant was written on tablets of stone through the law, and it revealed the people's sin and their inability to obey God perfectly, but it had no power to change their hearts, and so it left them in condemnation before a righteous God. The new covenant, however, which everything in the old covenant was set up to to lead us to, The new covenant is in Christ. It is written on people's hearts, not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts through the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin, who still makes that known. Listen, you can't can't follow God perfectly. You won't. You haven't. You didn't. Right? But that same Spirit who convicts us lovingly of our inability then takes Christ's ability. He takes all that Jesus has done and and in, in his life and death and resurrection and he frees us from the condemnation through faith in Jesus. And he transforms us into Christ's glorious image and he makes us righteous like our Savior. And this new covenant ministry that Paul's referring to here in chapter 4, this is is what he's talking about. It's a ministry that unveils, that removes, right, this veil to show the new covenant in Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. It's the gospel that unveils the truth. It's the gospel that brings light. Now, Paul was an apostle, which gave him a a certain authority in the early church that, uh, that, that Uh, not everyone shared, but the ministry of the gospel, that's something that everyone has now, right? This is something that's been given to everyone in the church. And so Paul's words here apply to us as well. Now listen, I don't know how often you read the news, but maybe it should be less than what you're doing right now, okay? Isn't it so disheartening to just see darkness in everything you read and hear? and see. Isn't it so uh, disheartening? It's incredibly disheartening to to see so much darkness in our world. It's disheartening to see the evil that comes out of the hearts of those whose minds have been blinded to the glory of Christ and the light of the gospel. Terrorists who overthrow governments and lobbyists who divide governments. The myriad of ways people are... dehumanizing each other right now. The ongoing and escalating displays of anger and hatred and violence and slander and abuse and corruption in so many different realms of life, including the church. Feels like an uphill battle for us as believers, right? The cabin in the woods is starting to sound pretty good right now. Add to that the daily battle because we can't look out at that and, and go, I don't have to deal with that anymore, right? Add to that the daily battle that we face against the sin that remains in our own hearts and the need to guard ourselves against those who deceitfully distort the word of God for their own personal agenda. And it's tempting to feel like the ministry of the gospel is a lost cause. Like, like this was really great for Paul and all those guys in the early church, but my goodness, What are we doing? It's tempting to want to give up and hunker down and just wait till Jesus returns or till we get to leave this world behind. But hear me, we were given this ministry of the gospel because we were shown mercy. We were shown mercy through it, through it. So we do not give up when we begin to give up hope that the gospel really does change lives, we need to remember that we too were once blinded by the God of this age to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. But in his mercy toward us, in his love that he had for us, God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has opened our hearts and our eyes to see the radiant light of the gospel so that we might see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ and believe we were shown mercy. Listen, if you're in Christ, you are living proof that the gospel works. That Jesus really does change lives through this message. Because of God's mercy, we've gone from being his enemies to becoming a royal priesthood, as Peter puts it, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that we might proclaim what? What? You know it? The praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Family, our merciful God has given us this gospel ministry together. And together, we must proclaim Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants to those who remain spiritually blind and in desperate need of sight. As your pastor, my heart for us as a church is that our lives would be an open display of the truth that God is both merciful and Jesus Christ is glorious. I don't want any of us to give up because the world is dark and people are blind. We do not give up hope that people will be changed because we've been changed and we're being changed because God is merciful. We do not give up endurance because God is powerful. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Of God. Paul's describing here the, the theme of the letter, right? This paradox of God's power displayed through our weakness through our weaknesses and our sufferings. He began this letter by talking about how God comforts us in all our afflictions and how Paul and his companions learn to trust God in the midst of theirs. You know the passage, right? The, the God of all comforts. It's, it's in chapter one. We tend to like go like verses three through seven. Have you ever kept reading? Listen to what verses eight and nine say. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Will God give you more than you can handle? He absolutely will. Here's why. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. It's that trust in the God of all comfort that enables Paul to say what he says here in chapter 4. Now we have this treasure, this this gospel treasure in jars of clay, in clay jars, so that what? His extraordinary power may may be displayed and show that it comes from God and not from us. Do you feel like a clay jar? You should, and that's a good thing. It's good for us to know our weakness and our frailty because that, not, that only magnifies the gospel's transforming power in us, right? You see, it's when we're completely overwhelmed beyond our own strength that we see the trustworthy strength of God at work in us. The gospel reminds us that though we may be afflicted in every way, we will never be crushed by our afflictions. Why? Because Christ was afflicted and crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. The gospel reminds us that though we may be perplexed by our suffering, we have no idea why we're going through this. We need never to despair over it. Why? Because here's what we do know, Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God will take you all the way through to the finish. The gospel reminds us that no matter how badly we may be persecuted for the sake of Christ, we will never be abandoned because Christ was persecuted by his enemies and he was abandoned by his friends to die on the cross so that through him, God can come through on his promise to never leave us nor forsake us. The gospel reminds us that no matter how many times we're struck down, we'll never be destroyed because the Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works, including death itself. So if not even death, can bring us to an end, what do we have to fear? What is there to truly fear? Now listen, we've been through a lot as a church family in these first two years. October is our our two-year birthday, October 20th. Since our first Sunday, we've lost three people to death. Three people who called Redeemer their home church. We've walked side by side with one another through unexpected and unwanted medical diagnoses. We've changed buildings. We've changed setups. We've changed service elements. Over three quarters of our existence as a church has been in the midst of a pandemic. It's a lot. It's a lot for a young church plant to endure. But listen to me. The fact that we've endured these things and more does not give us the ability to boast that we are Redeemer strong. What it does give us the ability to boast in is that we have a strong Redeemer. Family, our powerful God has made us weakened vessels together And together, we must boast all the more gladly in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in us. As your pastor, my heart for us as a church is that we would be joyfully weak together for the benefit of others so that as vessels of the gospel, as clay jars with this treasure, God's grace would extend through us to more and more people and then through them to more and more people so that God's grace, God's strength, not ours, would cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. I don't want any of us to give up endurance because the trials of this life are too hard. I want us to be honest about our sufferings, and I want us to share them with each other and share in them with one another because Christ's grace is sufficient for us, and his power is shown to be perfect in our weakness. That's later in Paul's letter. Look at verse 16, chapter 4. Therefore, we do not give up. Do you hear the refrain? Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Keep going into chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made by, with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. I love that picture. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. And so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We won't see our afflictions as light and momentary unless we learn not to trust in ourselves when we are completely overwhelmed by our own or by beyond our strength but in God who raises the dead. It starts in chapter 1. We've got to depend on the Holy Spirit who renews our inner person day by day, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Listen, we grow in endurance when we glance at our sufferings and we gaze at our Savior. We grow in endurance when we glance at our sufferings and we gaze at our Savior. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. That may not be mine, but it's too good not to say. Too often we have it the other way around. We glance at our Savior and we gaze at our sufferings. When we do that, the things that are temporary begin to crowd out the things that are eternal. And we start to think that the things that we see with our eyes are more enduring than the things that we don't see. We quickly lose this perspective that fuels our endurance in this life. We need the things of earth to grow strangely dim in the light. Of his glory and grace. The gospel reminds us that not only has Christ already come to renew our hearts through his life, death, and resurrection, the gospel also reminds us that Christ is coming back again to make all things new forever, to restore all that's been broken and to replace our earthly bodies, our earthly tents, as Paul puts it, with these eternal dwellings, immortal, incorruptible bodies. And until then, we must continue to walk by faith and not by sight, focusing not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We need to glance at our sufferings, and gaze at our Savior. Now, I'm really thankful that nowhere in this passage does Paul tell us to pretend like things in this life aren't actually as bad as they feel like they are. It's not what he's saying. Or that we don't really feel any pain. Instead, what he's he's encouraging us to do is to look so intently with faith in the promises, the eternal promises of God, that are all yes and amen through His Son, Jesus Christ. That the reality of the unending glory to come helps us remember that even our worst sufferings here are nothing in comparison and they won't last forever. A few weeks ago, I was able to go up and see Rebecca in the hospital and I I couldn't go into her room, but I was able to stand outside (laughs) and look through a window and and pick up a phone, and they held a phone to her ear. And I was able to read some scripture with her, to her, and, and, and pray with her over the phone. Here's what I read to her. First Peter 1, 5 through 9. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith... More valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls do you know that the last two verses that I just read are no longer true for her? Do you know that? If I were to peer through the window of heaven and read this passage to her again, I would have to change the words. Here's what it would say. Now that you have seen him, you love him, having seen Him with your own eyes right now, you believe in Him and you have received the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That's our promise. That's our hope. When we're able to look the reality of death in this life, whether it's from COVID or a car accident or you name it, when we're able to look at the reality of death in this life from the perspective of the eternal life to come, we no longer need to fear that reality. Instead, we can freely live, confidently knowing that God has already prepared us and continuing to prepare us for the day, listen, when mortality may be swallowed up in life because he's given us his eternal Holy Spirit to live in us as a guarantee that that day is coming family our eternal God has made us to be a dwelling place for his Holy Spirit together and together we must depend on his Spirit to keep us fixed on the one whom we love and believe even though we have not yet seen him with our eyes as your pastor, my heart for us as a church is that we would groan together with purpose. While we are in this earthly tent, not whining or complaining, but listen, longing. Longing together for our Savior's return and for, the death, and for death to be swallowed up by life. I want us to be people who walk side by side with one another through the really hard things of life with the confidence that our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Because God says it will. I want us to live neither in foolishness nor in fear but by faith and not by sight. Focusing on the temporary things that are seen, that are, huh, focusing not on the temporary things that are seen, but on the eternal things that are unseen. I want us to be people who together spur one another on to glance at our sufferings, to not deny them, not diminish them, not to, not to pretend like they don't exist or they don't hurt, but to glance at them and look through them so that we gaze at our Savior, Jesus Christ people who long to be at home with the Lord. And yet while we're here, we know our mission and we make it our aim to please him. We do not give up endurance in the temporary things of this life because our God is powerful and he's promised to give us rest. Oh, sweet rest. In the eternally glorious things to come. Now, so far the refrain has been, therefore we do not give up, right? We've heard it at least twice in in this passage. But in this last set of verses, we're going to see something that we absolutely must give up if we truly want to be fruitful in the ministry of the gospel. We don't give up hope because God is merciful, right? And we don't give up endurance because God is powerful. But here's what we do give up. We do give up our lives because Christ is king. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I I hope it's also plain to your consciences. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we're out of our mind, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. We're confident in this, is what he's saying. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. What is the thing that drives Paul's gospel ministry? What's, what is it that makes Paul, so that, so that he can't do anything else but live and speak the gospel to others? What is it? It's the love of Christ. When the king of the universe loves you so much that he lays his own life down for you, picks it back up again and gives you new life. Would you not be compelled by that kind of love to live for him? The gospel reveals Christ's love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel also reveals Christ's sovereign rule over all things because he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. If we're recipients of his grace through faith, that is, if he has opened our eyes to see and our hearts to believe in his love and his lordship, how could we not live for him? How could anyone or, or anything else take his place in our lives? This this refrain is all over the New Testament. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Acts 20.24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. We don't even have time to go through 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, Philippians 3, 10 and 12. It's everywhere. We do not give up hope in Christ through the gospel, and we do not give up endurance in Christ through the gospel, but we do, we must give up our lives for Christ and the gospel. It's his self-giving love that gracefully compels us to live for him It's our selfish love that sinfully compels us to live for ourselves. It's his self-giving love that gracefully compels us to live for him. And it's our selfish love that sinfully compels us to live for ourselves. My heart is that we would be a church that has reached this conclusion that Paul has come to that Christ died for us so that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and was raised. Christ's love not only compels us to look at our lives differently, but it compels us also to look at others differently. Look at verse 16, chapter 5. From now on, then, we, know, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Before Paul's heart was changed by Christ, Paul regarded Christ in a worldly way. He thought Jesus was a false messiah, Before we knew Christ, we lived as though this world and this life was all that mattered, right? We knew Christ from a worldly perspective too. Maybe you thought he was this good person or or this wise philosopher, or maybe you thought he was a buzzkill. Maybe you thought that he was one one of many ways you could get to heaven. Maybe you thought that he could help you, but you still had to do a lot of work yourself to be right with God. Maybe you thought he was made up. Maybe you never heard of him. Listen though if you're in Christ now, no matter how you once viewed him before, that is no longer how you view him now. Because he has transformed your heart by his grace through faith in him. You now know him for who he truly is. And who is he? He's God incarnate. He's the sacrificial lamb of God and the beloved son of the father. He's the savior. He's the redeemer. He's the king. This is who Jesus is. And because we know him this way, we can look at one another as new creations in him. Listen, we have to look at each other that way. This passage doesn't allow us to do it any other way. We need to see each other as those whom God has reconciled to himself through Christ and who's continuing to shape and remake into his image So that when conflict arises, and it will, and it has, we don't look at each other's sin and use that as a reason to skedaddle. I'm out. You're too much. This is too hard. It's hard everywhere. It's hard everywhere. And we're all difficult people. Somebody said amen over here. We need to see each other as those whom God has reconciled to himself through Christ so that we pursue unity with each other and not division. We, we stay eager then to maintain this spirit of unity through the bond of peace because God no longer counts our trespasses against us. Any sin that remains in us, any sin that we get to see from each other, guess what? If you're in Christ, it's already been paid for, which means we can work through it. And because God no longer counts our trespasses against us, that means that we can look at unbelievers in a new way. Instead of viewing people based on the standards and values of this world, we look at them in terms of whether or not they've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's the filter for us. A person is not reconciled to God because they wear a face mask or because they don't wear a face mask or because they get the vaccine or because they do get the vaccine. No one is reconciled to God because of who they voted for or how they view climate change or the withdrawal of the troops from Afghanistan. We are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That is it. The gospel is the message of reconciliation. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation because we've been given this gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ because God is merciful. If we let someone's worldly beliefs compel us to remain quiet about the gospel, then we are not being merciful. If we're more concerned with compelling them to change their worldly beliefs than we are with pleading with them to be reconciled to God, then I want you to hear me. We are being ambassadors of something or someone other than Christ. His love must compel us, it's our sin that keeps us away. His love must compel us toward others to speak his words of grace and truth in his love so that we, they can see that God, the God who makes his appeal through us it made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Family, this is why Redeemer Community Church exists. This is why we're here. God has brought us together for gospel ministry as gospel people to whom he has shown mercy through his son and given us power through his spirit. God makes his strength known in our weakness for Christ's glory. Praise God. Therefore, we do not give up. We do not give up hope because God is merciful. We do not give up endurance because God is powerful. But listen, we absolutely must give up our lives because Christ is king. He's our king. And we are his people, clay jars, strengthened and held together by his grace so that we can carry this beautiful, wonderful, glorious message of reconciliation to others with our lives, and with His words, with His words. Living not for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and was raised so that they will see His glory and be reconciled. And be reconciled. This is hard. This is my heart for us. Now and always, I want you to join us in it. I love you deeply. I love you so much that I share not only the gospel with you, but it's my desire to share my life with you as well. It is a joy and an honor to be your pastor May Christ get all the glory. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the joy that somehow works in all of our pain to keep our eyes fixed on you. Would you continue to draw us together in the love of Christ and compel us not to live for ourselves, but for you and you alone. Would you strengthen us to endure, Lord, would you continue to be merciful to us and let us remain in hope. Remind us of the promises that are yet to be fulfilled in Christ by showing us all the promises that have already been fulfilled in Christ. And may we be people who together glance at our sufferings and gaze at our Savior. Let God's power be displayed in our weakness for Christ's glory. Amen.